It's coming through? Okay, good. Hey, that's my pastor you just saw. Yeah. And um, he gave me assignment, but he didn't tell me he was going to set me up like that. Um, I'm very humbled uh, by his comments. And, um, and I want to share with you that God has blessed me with a very special friendship with Pastor Fletch. He is a very godly man. I respect him. I honor him as my pastor. You will never hear me criticize anything he does or says. Um, if I have any issue with my pastor, I'll go to him privately. And um, what a work God's doing here. I hope your heart is united with mine in rejoicing at the young people, the young families, the children that we're seeing come here. Um, it's God's timing, and we all should be rejoicing in it. What a great season in the life of Emmanuel. The message that God um, has laid on my heart is uh, what we have come to know as the Lord's Prayer. It's really the disciples' prayer. Jesus didn't have to pray this prayer. Like, when was it necessary for him to say, Father, forgive my debts, my sins? He never had to. No, he was giving a model prayer for the rest of us, those of us who are followers of Jesus. Let me set this within context for you this morning. Jesus has arrived in Israel after 400 years of prophetic silence. Malachi was the last prophet that had been on uh, God's stage for the nation of Israel. And then John the Baptist shows up. And he, in fact, is then the next prophet that God called to say, make straight the pathway for my Messiah. He's the one that is prophesied in the book of Malachi as the Elijah who goes before. He will turn the hearts of the fathers toward their children and the hearts of the children toward their fathers. We get a picture of families, God's plan for infiltrating the world with the gospel. The family is the first unit that God focuses on there. And what, you know, what an impact this is. But get the picture of how hungry the hearts of God's people are for a fresh word. God's been silent, and now they're saying, teach us how to pray. Jesus, would you teach us to reconnect with God who's been silent all these years? What an opportunity this is. And I entitled my message, Jesus' New Way to Pray. And just in case you attempted to fall asleep during this message, all right, because you say, I know the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer. I've heard it, you know, again and again and again. You're in for a surprise because Jesus radically shakes the understanding of his followers by what he says in these very brief words. Follow with me or turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. I'm reading verses 5 through 15. And of course, I'm using 
the English Standard Version, because my pastor picked that. <laughs> All right, and it's a great translation of the Scriptures. And so, beginning with verse 5 through verse 15, Jesus is speaking. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have already received their reward. I just inserted the word already. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they're going to be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need even before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses... Your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These are some amazing words, and there are some wonderful principles about how we approach our heavenly Father in this prayer. Now, Pastor Fletch asked me not only to share the word with you, but to also give you sample prayers, okay, that um, will show you, and as Jesus sets out the format here, he says there's two ways not to pray. He gives us negative examples, and then he sets the example of what we should do. So I've asked some of the present board of elders um, to offer prayers, samples like this, to show us how not to pray, and I want you to know that. Um, they're coming up, and they're, I've given them an assignment, and they're acting out this part. All right, They don't normally pray this way. This is my disclaimer. Okay, <laughs> But I set them up for it, and again, we're going to have a little bit of fun here as we learn, because you'll remember it so much better when you see it lived out or played out. So there are two common prayer practices Jesus warns against. And I'm going to just, I'll share them, these two, and then we're going to get our first sample. Praying, Jesus says, praying to an audience of other people and doing it for their recognition. That's one way. And the second way he says don't pray, it's praying with many empty words. The idea is if I pray with all these words, God's going to listen to me. And Jesus says, "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh. All right, our first, Elder Noss. 
He's our Pharisee of the day. Attention, everyone, attention, please. Be quiet. I'm about to pray, and you do realize that I am an expert in prayer, or should I say in the art of prayer, because it is indeed an art. Not everyone knows how to pray, but I think I do. Let's pray. God Almighty, victorious, gracious, and faithful, here I am once again, your humble servant, bringing my supplications before you today, supplicating earnestly, honestly, and with deeply in awe of your inestimated worth. Grant me, your humble servant, riches from your benevolent and restorative heart. O Lord, how I thank you that I was able to finish my doctorate degree last semester, and I thank you for that new book that I put out, and the critics are acclaiming it so widely. And how I praise you, O Father, for that loving new car that we were able to purchase since I received that wonderful salary advance. Oh, Lord, my God, you are so great. It is such a joy, therefore, to be able to tithe my income and give it to you beyond what the tithe is. Oh, God of Most High, oh, Everlasting Father, oh, Prince of Peace, thank you. I request all of these things to be made on what your own anointings have already been predestined. In the name of the most holy God, amen. Amen. Every Pharisee would love the applause. Come on. A little more. Come on. There we go. The humility was just oozing. Could you feel it? Yes. <laughs> Good job, Dave. And when you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues, uh, in Emmanuel Church, <laughs> at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I want to ask you, after hearing those words of Jesus, is he opposed to corporate prayer? Is he saying, look at all of you Baptist churches, cancel your prayer meeting. You ought to be praying quietly in the you know, in your own room, and nobody else should be listening to you. No, I don't believe at all that Jesus is saying there's no place for corporate prayer. What he is saying is this, guard your heart. Guard it, because it's natural to move from a God focus to a people focus in all the religious things that we do. Guard your heart. There is wonderful, there are many, in fact, wonderful purposes for corporate prayer. 
Should everyone pray silently? No, I don't believe so. Jesus is just warning us. What is, then, the value of corporate prayer? If you're guarding your heart, okay, to pray with no intention of getting human recognition. And I believe even in the ministry of Jesus, we can see he did pray for others to hear. One example is in John chapter 11, where he's outside the tomb of Lazarus, and he makes it clear, I'm praying this prayer out loud because those who are here, I want them to understand where the power to raise Lazarus is coming from. And so he tells his father, I know you've already heard my prayer, but for their sake now, I'm praying. We can learn a lot from one another in our prayers if our hearts are right, both to say the words God wants us to say and for the rest of us to hear them. So, what is the value of corporate prayer? When others hear our Spirit-inspired prayers, it is a window into our relationship with God, our love for God, our faith in His character and in His Word are on full display when we pray. And isn't that a natural thing? In fact, it's true of all communication. If I can hear you talking to your children with loving compassion. It shows me the heart that you have as a parent for your child and your child for their parent. Here's another benefit of corporate prayer. Such prayers bring conviction of our own sin when we see God for who he really is. And what is more powerful Then when fellow believers confess their sins in genuine humility and repentance, and we're there to hear. You want to feel uncomfortable before God? Let a truly humble, repentant believer admit they're a sinner in your presence. And then the Spirit rushes in and says, What about you? Where are you in your relationship with the Father? Another wonderful benefit of corporate prayer. Corporate prayer can challenge us to greater faith and determination to move forward with the Lord, especially during troubled times. You know, one of the best examples I can think of here is the prayer of Jesus in John 17. It's called by theologians the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it is just before he's arrested to be hung on the cross. Now, you know what the interesting thing about this prayer is? There was nobody there to hear it. Nobody. Remember the three disciples closest to Jesus? They snoozed on him three times. We have no idea. You know, no indication at all. They heard what Jesus was praying. And the rest of them were a little farther off than they. And so, how do we have this prayer? I think, and again, the scriptures don't tell us, but this speculation, I believe after the resurrection, Jesus sat down with the eleven and said, you know when you boys were sleeping, 
Here's what I was saying to the Father. This prayer is the most marvelous picture of the relationship Jesus had with the Father even before the creation of the world. Remember in the beginning of that prayer? Father, share the glory, your glory with me, the glory that we had before creation. Oh my goodness. Any doubts that he's the Son of God, the eternal Son of God, true God and true man? That prayer you know, reveals it so clearly. And then he explains, I've accomplished the mission you've given to me. And then he begins praying for you and I. He says, Father, I'm praying not only for the 11 that you've given to me, but for all of those who will come to know me through their witness. Where did you get the gospel? I got it out of the Bible. Who wrote that Bible? Those followers of Jesus. We were in that prayer of Jesus. We were in the heart of God before he died on the cross. I am so glad he preserved that prayer for us, aren't you? I know what my mission is. The same mission that Jesus had. Until he returns again, we are charged with the responsibility to represent the kingdom of God on earth. To use the word of God and the spirit of God to reveal the person of Christ. Wow, we live in troubling times. Run to John 17 and encourage your heart. There's a a fourth thing I'd like to share with you about the power of corporate prayer. Corporate prayer informs fellow believers how to love and support you or us in seasons of need. Isn't it great to eavesdrop on that communication with God when a believer is broken, is looking for wisdom or strength, and you hear that, and then the Spirit of God says, I have a role for you in all of that. Prayer, corporate prayer, is so powerful, a motivation. Let's consider now praying with many empty words or phrases to gain God's attention. We're going to have an example of this prayer, and it's uh, uh, Dave Fuller, Elder Dave Fuller, who's going to share the, uh, this prayer. Remember, this is a, the prayer of an unbeliever, and cast in the days in which Jesus lived, they, the Gentile believers, they believed in many gods, and they didn't know which one was going to listen to them. which one was going to answer their prayer. And so even today, if you've ever heard an unbeliever beseech God, you will see some very common threads in the way that they pray. Dave, would you come and share? Oh, great spirit who oversees the world and all who dwell here, We seek your help during this season of difficulty. Of all the gods of our people call out, none have heard our cries of deliverance. 
So we are trusting that among the pantheon of gods whom our ancestors have prayed to, you might prove that your power and wisdom surpasses all. You will be the God that will deliver us from the plague that we are enduring. Hear us, we pray, and be assured that if you act on your behalf, we will offer you generous sacrifices of produce and oil and wine and our livestock. Indeed, we will even offer you the lives of our children as well. All of this because we're ready to prove our sincerity and devotion to you alone. Yes, and we'll set aside days of fasting and prayer and honor you until, we, until you act on our behalf. Who is a God like you? Where can we find a deity who pauses to hear our prayers of mere mortals such as we? Listen now, before we die, listen, we live in... Listen while we live, and we can pledge our fealty and for the rest of our lives. You are not worthy to be heard, and our promises of devotion sincere enough for your attention. Our hope is in you alone, O great spirit. Amen. When we approach God in prayer, and don't have the assurance at all that we're loved, accepted, and forgiven by him, we end up trying to coax God into hearing us. And that was a good example of doing just that. You know, God, if you do for me, I'll do this for you. God doesn't need that. Not at all. So, just in review, Jesus warns us not to pray, as a performance for human beings. He says, look, don't multiply words when you approach me. That's not impressive to me at all. Let's now consider what Jesus reveals is the nature of prayer that connects your heart and God's heart. The first principle I'd like you to see this morning is this. Your requests in prayer should be guided more by the character, the word, and the will of God than by your needs. You hear that? If the motivation for our prayer is only, God, I need something else, all right, it's a wrong motive. Guard your heart in that. Matthew 6, verses 9 to 10 says, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I presume that because most of you are here, you survived another Christmas. All right? Uh, Sometimes if you have young children or you have lots of grandchildren, like my wife and I do, 11, the requests that come to you at Christmas time are many. (laughs) And they change as you get closer and closer to Christmas and so on. So, it's appropriate at this season of the year that I ask you, have you prayed to the Santa Claus God who exists to meet your every need? (laughs) If you're in the habit of doing that, I want to charge you before the Lord, cut it out. 
This is not the God that Jesus is introducing us to, the Heavenly Father spoken of in this prayer. So now uh, Elder Norm Fuquay is going to pray a Santa prayer for us. Here's not how not to pray. Thank you, Lord, for the 2% salary raise that I received. I was expecting a 5% raise. (laughs) Unfortunately, that caused some problems uh, since my checking account is now overdrawn and I need to deal with that. On a different subject, my car is now three years old and the new ones have all kinds of bells and whistles that I would sure like to have. So I'm sure that you will help me also with that. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, if I'm not asking too much, could you send me some money for fixing my leaky roof and remodeling my kitchen? I I only need about $30,000. And you know how frugal that I am with these matters. I want to be a good steward of the things that you have given me. And while I'm thinking of stewardship, you might also help me pay for the gym membership. My body is your temple and had some mid-rift bulge. (laughs) Thank you for your generous help in all these matters. Amen. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Learning to pray according to God's will and not our own is an ongoing struggle for every one of us. And the best way to find out what God wants us to have is to read his book. Amen? Oh, the Bible is just a storehouse of wisdom. And you won't be tempted to ask God to give you things that a God of his love and character wouldn't think of giving to anyone. All right? Um, Maybe the gym membership, but (laughs) again, we have to guard our hearts and learn to pray in ways that we know are in line with who God is and his plan for his, uh, his world and his universe. Let me ask you, how do you pray for those who are ill? Do you presume that it's always God's will to bring relief from pain and healing to everyone. Is it true that some illness is for the purpose of death? Ooh, now I'm really meddling. What about those struggling with broken relationships? Have you ever had one of those? Many of those? We live in a very fallen world. Do you think that God's normative plan and will is to bring immediate peace and reconciliation? Oh, I wish that were true. Oh, especially in family relationships. Oh, you can wait years and years for your own children to return to the Lord and so on. What eternal lessons of life does God intend for us to learn from illness? from suffering, from impending death? Are we ready to learn 
that God gets his way, or, or, or how important it is, that God gets his way in these seasons of life. And that he does that before he brings relief. Are we courageous enough to believe that God loves us so much that he doesn't give us more than we can bear? Principle number two is this. Request what you know is God's will for yourself and for others. And it's okay to pray God's word back to him. In other words, to link a promise in the word with the request that you're making. God doesn't get tired of hearing his own word. You believe that? He gave it to us for that very purpose. Matthew 6, verses 11 through 13. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want to show you that all of those requests in those few verses, God's already revealed this is his will for all of his people. He wants to give us our daily bread. You know, if you don't get it, you're going to die. And he's also promised that too. We will die, but on his time. Amen? Does this, do the scriptures say, not only are the hairs on your head are numbered, but the days of your life are numbered. Amen? Yeah. I take great peace and comfort in that. There are no accidental deaths in God's kingdom. Uh Uh-uh. They're they're accidental from our perspective, not from his. God's word tells us what he has committed to provide for us as his children. Matthew 25 Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. There you go, Norm. Even, you know, your exercise. What you will will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. And then verse 31, same chapter. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what are we going to eat and what shall we drink or what will we wear or where will we live Again, the basic provisions that keep our bodies alive, God says, I'm committed to provide those things for you. As long as I've given you days to live, you can't live without these things. I want to add to this list, your health fits into that too. People who are trapped in a bed are limited in the kingdom work they're able to do. You can witness to the nurses and doctors, right? Amen, and I hope you do that the next time you're in the hospital. But God is aware of these things that touch our lives, okay, that interrupt our comfort. Acts 2, verse 38. Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And then he adds a bonus. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Is is it God's will that we find forgiveness for our sins? Oh, yes. And so here it is, right in the the disciples' prayer. 1 Peter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy 
in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And that relates to the deliverance from evil. God wants for us to be delivered from the powers of evil all about us um, because he loves us and wants us protected from that harm. Let me share with you now a prayer for um, the healing or or, or for those that have illnesses um, as a sample prayer, okay? One of the most uh, pressing prayer needs that we all experience are health concerns. I took last week's prayer update, and I identified 36 health-related prayer requests. 25 of them were serious uh, requests for those having cancer, heart failure, diabetes problems, and so on. 11 of them were COVID challenges. We're living in the age of COVID. Amen? So let me share a prayer that I hope illustrates a way to discern God's will for sickness in your life and mine. And then it trusts God to accomplish his will in our lives and in the lives of our sick loved ones. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the individual love and care you provide for all of your creation. The birds are fed daily, and the needs for our bodily sustenance are promised to us in your word. O Lord, surely our health is just another essential human need that you oversee in our journey through life. No illness we encounter is a surprise to you. And we know that our days on earth are already established by your will and your purpose for our lives. O God, your ways and will are beyond our human understanding. So we humbly bow before your sovereign purposes. You are the God who counts the hairs of our heads and the tears which fall because of pain and suffering in life. So, Father, we cling to you, lover of our souls. Teach us and our loved ones the lessons that can only be learned through weakness and pain. Those are hard words to say. May your love become more real and your comfort palpable during these seasons of need. Accomplish your purpose in this illness before you bring healing. And Father, if your purpose for this illness is to take our loved one to his or her eternal home, grant us grace to release them to you and bring glory to you through the witness of those who know the joy and the peace of Christ, our Savior. We pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen. You think that's a simple prayer to pray? Oh, no, it's not. 
It is a prayer that absolutely humbles us before the purposes of Almighty God. I know of no one else in this universe more trustworthy than he. Amen? Principle number three, and this is the last one. God's answer to your prayer may not be due to a lack of willingness to give you what you need, but because you are not yet ready to partner with him in his mission to bring the gospel to the world. What do I mean by that? It all relates to forgive us our debts as we forgive those that have sinned against us. And there it is, uh, Matthew 6, 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive their tres- others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is a shocking statement that should wake us all up. Really. I thought that this was a done deal. I asked Jesus into my heart, and I'm forgiven forever, right? We're going to look at Matthew 18 just briefly. It's, a, it's the story of the unjust steward who's forgiven millions and millions of dollars in debt. In the New Testament, it was called talents. It is unthinkable from God's perspective that anyone who has truly tasted the generous grace of complete and eternal forgiveness, that that person would be unwilling to extend that grace to others. You hear that? Wow. Those who would not model this lavish gift cannot be true servants of God, whose lives are committed to share the gospel by living out the truth of the gospel. I want to ask you this morning, are you living out every day that you live forgiveness? Wow. I know most of you have only been hurt once in your life, right? And then, it, you know, that's all. So what an easy job that was, right? No, every day that we live and breathe, we live in a fallen world. And for unbelievers especially, the center of the universe is themselves and what they want. And if you and I get in the way of it, watch out. It's going to hurt. Forgiveness has to be extended again and again. Test the validity and reality of your own faith. Dear brothers and sisters, does your life overflow with grace and forgiveness? Listen to the unjust steward. The background is this. The Lord of uh, the plantation (laughs) has servants that are working for him. One man owes millions and millions to him in cash. And the guy begs him, will you please forgive me? Give me more time and I'll pay it back. 
And he says, yes, I give you more time. That same man who's been forgiven a lot has a, a servant himself who only owes him a pittance. And the guy says, give me more time. And the guy says, no way. Off to prison until you pay back every penny. Well, the neighbors hear about this, and they run to the master, and they say, do you know what just happened? This is unthinkable. The guy that you forgave millions for, he's not willing to forgive this little guy. Well, word got back (laughs) to the owner of the plantation, and he says, you're going to go to prison now. Because you didn't have the grace to extend forgiveness. And this is to teach all of us. There is nothing that any of you can do to me. Nasty thing that you can do to me. That will be as bad as what I know I've accomplished in my short life of 70 years. And God has released me. Forgiven me again and again. I don't get it. It isn't fair. But it's loving. And it's merciful. And let's be honest. I don't know what hurt you're bearing from somebody else. But it's nothing compared to what God has extended to you in grace and forgiveness. Think about this. Prayer is not just saying the right words. When you decide to turn them on, hmm, time to pray. Okay. Real prayer is the continual sharing of your heart, your mind, and your spirit with God. It is the steady overflow of of your walk with Jesus every day. Otherwise, this verse doesn't make sense in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Don't stop. You don't turn these, this kind of prayer on. It's supposed to always be on. <laughs> Give thanks when? In all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Listen to Luke 11. Have you ever wondered why following, why the, this verse, that I'm going to read from um, Luke 11, mentions the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, He'll give him a scorpion. If you, then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why does he put the Holy Spirit in there? Think about this. Our loving Heavenly Father not only is eager to give us what we request. But he adds the bonus of giving his very spirit to us 
so that our communication is guided and empowered by his very presence in our life. You don't know what to say to God in prayer? See, we focus all on the words. I can't pray out loud because I might not say the right words. And, and the, the other Pharisees in the church who are real good at praying, they're going to judge me for that. But Jesus is saying, listen, prayer isn't about words. Prayer is about spirit-to-spirit and heart-to-heart communication. Do you know that there are times in your life and mine when we are so overcome with grief, maybe with joy, and the, wor- the words aren't there? You know what I do? I turn to the Holy Spirit and say, tell God how I feel. And he does. It's awesome. The Spirit, the groans of our hearts and lives that we can't put English words to are no problem for the Spirit of God. That's a marvelous promise. Beloved Are you wasting this precious resource called prayer? You can pray without ceasing because you never exhaust the power or wisdom of God. You can resolve today that you will stop merely talking at God. You can walk with God throughout your life, allowing His Spirit to help you to live your prayers. Live your prayers. Catch the connection here with forgiveness. When you live forgiveness, people all around you are going to say, whoa, where is that coming from? I know I mistreated you, and you're just trying to love on me. What is happening here? This is otherworldly, and it is. It's from God. When you ask God to forgive you the next time, let his spirit say, hey, there's one you need to forgive. Let it go right now. And trust them to God. Bless them. Trust God's blessing upon them. There is no better way to show our broken world the heart of God's love and forgiveness than modeling it ourselves. If you thought I was going to teach you how to speak good prayers, my goal is to teach you to live good prayers. Let's pray. Forgive us, O Lord, for squandering our prayers on personal concerns with no regard for your kingdom's purposes. Open our ears to your Spirit's voice that we may ask for those things that are eternal and life-transforming to your glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.